Welcome to Grace Church in Longwood, Florida on the live stream. In fact, all of us right now are on the live stream thanks to this virus that's going around. But we hope you'll enjoy uh, what you have to watch this morning. We have Rick Manis, who has a ministry where he travels the country sharing this incredible gospel of grace. Uh, many of you know Rick. He has a way of really sharing these truths in a way that uh, is, 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 is able to be received. And I say it that way because the, the part he's gonna cover today is a section of Galatians chapter five, as we're in this series of Galatians, that can be tricky for some. It has a list of sins, for example, that, that people are often drawn to and they get hung up on. And Rick does a fantastic job at drawing our attention to the real truth of the gospel and what Paul was really trying to share with all of us. So take a listen and enjoy. Well, good morning. It's uh, great that we don't have to forsake the assembling of ourselves as we navigate this whole thing with, our, with grace and faith in the Lord. And uh, uh, this morning we're going to look at Galatians 5, and I'm excited about that because uh, Galatians 5 has a little passage of Scripture that I get asked about a lot, as a, 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 lot, of, a lot of us uh, in ministry especially do. Um, and that's this particular passage in chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. And people ask Rick, it's obvious that it's by grace and by Christ alone. We see that, we see that, but why? Does Paul say these things? Such as, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions. I thought I was doing pretty good, but I've had some of that jealousy and contention. Jealousies. Outburst of wrath. Me, never. <laughs> Selfish ambitions. Done that. <laughs> Dissensions. Heresies, envy, mm, yeah, I've done some of that. Murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, people are uh, confused and they question this because when you take it at face value, when you take this passage as a soundbite, it, it, it looks like these are the disqualifying sins that keep you out of heaven. And, uh, and it brings confusion to people because they can see that there's, you know, they can see the grace and the finished work and it's all in Christ alone. But why would Paul make these lists? And why would he say that you wouldn't inherit the kingdom of heaven if you do these things? Well, I love teaching on this stuff because all you have to do is unpack. You know, most of the most of the misunderstood scriptures, especially the, the scriptures of Paul, uh, well, the New Testament, Paul and John, um, the reason they're misunderstood is because we take the word a lot of time in sound bites. And you know how, how uh, in the world the media will, will give us a sound bite of something somebody says? And when you hear that, you'll think, oh, that's horrible. How could they say such a thing? But then if you see the whole video or hear this whole recording, you'll see that they were talking about something else entirely. And you go, oh, well, they didn't mean that at all. And that's what we need to do with the word. A lot of times we take the word in sound bites and we just think, how could they say such a thing? How could Paul say something like this? Well, he had a very good reason for saying it. And uh, uh, all we have to do is look at this letter. And first of all, why did he write this thing? It's through every chapter. What was he talking about? What was he writing about? He was fighting vehemently for the truth that it's by Christ alone and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's by grace and not works. It's the work of the spirit, not the work of the flesh. And he says that repeatedly, repeatedly. And in fact, the, the purpose uh, of the whole letter 
was because people were teaching uh, works of the law, works of the flesh, as a means to uh, perfection and, uh, and godliness. And this is what he was dealing with. And so he's doing this through the whole letter, and he doesn't all of a sudden make a, make a, make a, make a turn and start talking about how sin is going to disqualify you. In fact, he's very strong in saying that it's only by grace through faith in Christ alone that qualifies us anyway and how we've been justified by him. We've been sanctified by him. We've been washed by him. In 1 Corinthians 9, he gives a very similar list. And when he lists these things, again, you know, he says they don't inherit the kingdom of God. And, uh, and he says, and, such were, and, and as such were some of you. You used to be that way, but you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified. In other words, you're not that way. So what we're looking at here, what we're going to see here is Paul is making a very distinct different differentiation between two ways of trying to attain godliness and perfection. And one of them he calls by the flesh, and one of them he calls by the spirit. And uh, first of all, let's define what did Paul mean when he talks about the flesh. Because there's a verse uh, 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 in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, where he says, he says, are you so ignorant? He says, you've, have you begun in the spirit and you're now going to be made perfect in the flesh? And so he says, you know, you started out by believing the, believing the good news of Jesus. And then this other stuff comes along, and they're wanting you to be circumcised and to try to become more godly or perfected by doing things outwardly, changing behavior and such. And he says, do you think you're going to be perfected that way? And, and so he's talking about these two ways. You know, when, when, when the Word speaks of the flesh in the New Testament, it's speaking of everything pertaining to the outer man, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's the, the actual hungers and passions of the flesh of man, the, um, you know, people wanting to eat too much, drink too much, you know, illicit sex, you know, it, it does include those things, but, but it pertains to everything of that outer man. And part of that everything is really uh, an, uh, an idea that our behavior or our outward activity determines anything that we are with God. Now, I want us to look at um, Romans chapter 8. So Galatians 3, he says, you began in the spirit, you're not going to be perfect in the flesh. So when he's talking about the flesh, he's not talking about, he's not talking in this particular instance here about committing a bunch of fleshly sins. He's talking about trying to perfect yourself by what you do. And, uh, and, and in Romans 8, he says this very clear when he talks about the flesh. You see, I came from a background uh, in, in my uh, church life over the years to where we thought whenever the flesh was mentioned, it was, it was talking about committing some ugly sin. If you committed a sin, you're in the flesh. But you can commit religion. You can commit good works, good deeds in the flesh. And uh, in Romans chapter 8, he talks about this quite a bit. And in verse 1, he says, Now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I used to read that, and I'd get all excited at the first half, and then I'd get all sad at the second half. Because he'd say, there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. I'm like, ooh, that's me. There's no condemnation. 
And then the rest of it said, if you walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I'm like, oh, because I thought, I guess I do walk in the flesh, you know. I do have some of these bad thoughts. I do, do, I do some of these bad things. I lose my temper. I give in to temptation sometimes. I, well, you know, and it's like, like that statement would disqualify me. But then we read on, and he explains and, and defines very clearly what he means by walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh does not mean, in this particular uh, instance, com uh, committing some ugly sin. It's trusting in the flesh for your righteousness, godliness, and perfection. And we know that Paul went that way. He talks about that in chapter 7. And he says, and though he, though he did all these things, he lets us into his life. And he says, you know, here I am, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, more zealous than all of my brothers. And, 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 and concerning the righteous of the law, I look blameless to people. He says, but still, I want you to know that the things that I wanted to do, I still couldn't do. And the things that I didn't want to do anymore, <laughs> I couldn't stop doing. It never gave me the power. And he said, so who's going to help me? Who's going to deliver me from that? I thank God through Jesus. There's no, now no condemnation who walk not in the flesh but according to the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to trust in the Spirit, the work of Jesus. Verse 4, he says that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, the righteousness got fulfilled in me when I trusted in Christ. He did the work. I believed it. I simply believed it. It's a reality. It's true. And all the righteousness and the righteous requirement of that law was fulfilled for us because of what Jesus did, everything that Jesus did, and nothing by what I did. Now, if I'm going to be, if it's going to be fulfilled as by me walking in the flesh, that means it's going to be by my behavior, by my giving in to rites and rituals, um, sacraments, traditions, different things, of trying to, to make myself more godly. That is what Paul is talking about when he says walking in the flesh. And so he's very adamant about that. And he says in verse 5, he defines it even more. He says, because those who live according to the flesh, here's what it is. It's, it's simply those who set their mind on the things of the flesh. Well, what is circumcision? It's a thing of the flesh. And Paul says, compare that to spiritual, which is circumcision of the heart, not the flesh. But he says, when you're walking in the flesh, you're putting your mind on things of the flesh. This is why there's so much sin consciousness, even in the church world. And bless our hearts, it's sad to say that we, we you know, we, in, in our, the body of Christ at large... <laughs> We're, we're doing our best. We're trying to inspire and motivate and teach perfection, godliness, Christ-likeness among the people. But because we've been, we, we, our, our, our minds have been on the flesh, we talk about the flesh. What do we need to stop doing? What does God expect us to do? What is required of us as Christians? These all put the burdens upon us, and then it's upon us our ability, our strength, our willpower, our flesh, in other words, to fulfill these requirements of godliness and Christianity. And he says, that's what minding the things of the flesh are, or walking in the, in the flesh. But to walk in the spirit, your mind is on the things of the spirit. What's your mind on in the, in, in the spirit? Jesus paid it all. He did it all. Jesus fulfilled it all. Jesus perfected me. That's 
thinking of things on the Spirit, right? Jesus has made me holy. When your mind is on things of the Spirit and you, and you know and believe and see that you're holy, it's all because of Him. No wonder we praise Him. No wonder we love Him. No wonder we, sometimes we cry when we mention or sing about His name. Because He did what our flesh could never do. Thank God we, we find, about, find out about that eventually. He says, verse 6, For to be carnally minded... To be carnally minded or, or thinking about the outward, thinking about the things of the flesh is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So that, verse 8, so then those that are in the flesh, they can't please God. See, I used to read it and think what he was saying was those that commit sin can't please God. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about a way to try to attain righteousness, godliness, or perfection. And he says, and if you do it in the flesh, you'll always fail. You can't please God. Paul said, I tried. And the things I didn't want to do, I still did. And the things I wanted to do, I still couldn't find the power to do it. I could not please God by trying on my own. It says in verse 9, but you're not in the flesh. Well, that's a good one. You're not in the flesh. You are, are in the spirit. So he's telling them, don't even give it another mind. Don't even worry about it. Don't, have, don't, don't let it have anything to do with your behavior or your performance because the truth is, no matter what, if you act good today or you act bad today, you're not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. That means you're sanctified, you're justified, you're holy, you're perfect, and you're entire in him no matter what your outward is because this does not pertain to your flesh at all. It's all about the things of the spirit which are true and eternal and it says, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit if Christ dwells in you, new creation. And that's what he makes very, very clear. So I wanted to lay that down and, 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 and let us know, because we're going to look at this, the works of the flesh are evident. So he's talking about two separate, distinct ways of, 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 of dealing with godliness, righteousness, and perfection, or trying to attain it. Paul says, you got it all with Jesus. The legalists say, no, you have to be circumcised. Or, uh, Western Christianity doesn't say that now. It was a different time. But we say you have to act this way. You have to stop doing this. You have to do, that, do these things. And it's all things that pertain to the flesh. And what does that preaching do? It puts our mind on the things of the flesh. I used to preach, and I'd, I, I, could preach I could preach sin and, 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 and hellfire and brimstone so good... <coughs> My motivation was right because I was trying to inspire and, 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 and inform and motivate people to more, to more godliness and holiness. But I was, I was putting their attention on their flesh. I would, I, was, I, I, you know, I would get them to look at all that they were doing wrong. I'd get them to look at their flaws. I'd get them to look at their shortcomings. And basically, they'd all crawl up here and pray, and then they would all promise God they're going to do better. And that's a cycle that never ends, isn't it? They just keep doing that because you can never please God that way. You can never be good enough, can you? It never ends. So when you look at the whole of Galatians, and I'm just going to skim over some of it there to get to this point, but he starts off by, by telling them, stay in the liberty. They were trying to be pulled out and trying to rely more on what they do, on what their flesh to try to attain this. He says, no, stay in the liberty, stay in the freedom, uh, how, in the freedom that God made us free. 
And don't be tangled up with a yoke of bondage. There again, I used to read that and I would think, that I would think the Bible's telling me, don't go back and commit a sin. <laughs> See what that sin consciousness does? It takes a word of righteousness and it puts your attention on, on your sin or your fault or your shortcoming. And Paul said, don't do that. That's walking in the flesh. That's putting your mind on the things of the flesh. When he said, when he talked about don't be entangled again in a yoke of bondage, he wasn't telling them don't go commit a sin. He was saying don't believe that you're going to be justified by anything that you do. He said in verse 4, he said, he said, you guys are believing this stuff and now you've become estranged from Christ because you're attempting to be justified by law and, and by that you've fallen from grace. There again, I used to think falling from grace meant you committed a sin. And Paul's saying, no, you pull out of grace when you're starting to look at what you do in order to establish your righteousness, godliness, or perfection. He said, you ran so well, you started so good. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. He says, this persuasion did not come from him who called you. In verse 9, he, ma he makes this statement. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. There again, I used to hear that in church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And there again, my mind went straight to a sin. That if I sinned a little bit, it made me a sinner. Then I had to rededicate my life and repent and confess. And, and then after a while, that wasn't good enough. They said, you have to really mean it. That usually meant crying a lot. And, you know, we, there again, putting our faith, confidence, and attention on our outward activity to try to make us godly and righteous. When Paul said a little leaven leavens the whole lump, he wasn't talking about committing a sin is going to ruin your whole life, is going to make you unrighteous. This little leaven he was talking about was the leaven of legalism. He said, don't even play with it. He said, you don't want to do a little bit of it because it leavens the whole lump. Once you start doing that, then there's going to be something else you have to do. Right? Maybe you've experienced that. It seems like no matter how much you've worked on yourself, you think, man, i got one more thing. If I can just get this thing out of my life or if I can just overcome this particular area, then I'll be so godly. And then you do that maybe sometimes because some of you got some strong willpower. But then, doggone, if you don't find there's something else on the horizon that you've got to beat, you never get there. And so a little leaven causes you to keep chasing this carrot on a stick of trying to become godly, holy, and righteous. And he says in verse 13, another little bit of a controversial statement here. He says, because you brothers have been called to liberty, freedom, but don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There again, I would think that he's talking about, since you're under grace, don't just go out and sin a whole lot. Well, it can pertain to that, but there again, look at it this way. Yes, the flesh does have the flesh when it's not fulfilled by Christ, it has desires because it's searching for fullness. That's why it wants these, what we call the, 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 the passions, the lust, the hungers, the desires of the flesh that can be very ugly. But the flesh also has other lusts and desires. The flesh wants validation. The flesh wants credit. The flesh wants to look good. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when we looked and didn't like how we looked, we tried to cover ourselves and make ourselves look better. The flesh still wants to look good. That's why religion and legalism plays into the flesh so easily because it offers the flesh a chance to do something good. It offers the flesh a chance to get credit. 
it offers the flesh a chance to make itself better. And he says, now you've been called to freedom, so don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use it as, a, as an opportunity for the flesh to get credit for this. Don't fall for what they're teaching you there. Don't use it as an opportunity for your flesh to think that it's good enough now. So he says, don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another because love, the law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, there's nothing more perfect than that. He says, it's not by cleaning up the outward of the flesh, being circumcised, doing this, not doing that, abstaining from this and that and the other. He says, the real way to fulfill this is by love. Love fulfills the whole law. So if they want to start bringing in law things with a list that never ends for your flesh to do, he says, look at the truth of this, that God is love and in, in, in Christ is that love that satisfies the soul. And it, and it perfects you, it fulfills you, and it makes you complete, and it fulfills all the law, his love for you first. And he says, verse 16, so I say, therefore, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, there again, mind the things of the Spirit or put your attention on the things of the Spirit and you won't be tempted to fulfill the desire of the flesh to do something more, to do something extra, to make itself a better Christian, to make itself more godly or more holy. Maybe you felt that temptation. You know what it's like. like, like yeah, I, I believe I'm righteous, but I still want to be a better person. So you're tempted to work on you to make you better. But there's a truth in the spirit that says, you know what? You're perfect and you're complete and you're holy now. And I love the verse in Proverbs that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. When you start thinking you're holy, guess what? You start acting more holy. When you think that you're perfect in him, you find perfection starts coming out. What is that? That's love. <laughs> there's nothing better than that. In verse 17, he, sh he points this out. He says, you know what? The flesh lusts or wars against the spirit. It's against it. It's not helping the spirit. It's against the spirit. And the spirit is against the flesh. The, it's not your spirit and your flesh working together to make Christ's likeness here. He says they're contrary to each other so that you can't do the things that you want to do. So he's saying, people, he says, don't you, adding flesh to this is not going to make it better. They're against each other. They're two separate, distinct ways, and they're on opposite sides of the spectrum here. Now, when we look at, we see this all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Now, look at this. I've entitled this Barking Up the Wrong Tree, because what he's really showing us here is that what these teachers are doing is they're bringing in a way of perfection and godliness that sounds right. Because remember, the Bible says there's a, there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death or destruction. And we see that in the Garden of Eden. There was a way that looked right. There was a tree. It looked good for food. It looked like it would make us wise, and it looked like it would make us godly. And that was the knowledge of good and evil. It was sense knowledge. It was that which pertained to our flesh. Flesh consciousness. And Paul called that walking in the flesh. We were offered the other way. There were two ways to live. One would be by the spirit, the way of life. The other would be by the senses or by flesh. And that would put it all upon us. 
And so ever since that time, there's been all this ugliness. First child Adam and Eve have becomes a murderer because the works of the flesh. Remember, they didn't go after that tree to try to become ugly sinners. They did it to become more godly. But what did it produce? Immediately we see fear, shame, murder. The works of the flesh are manifest. They're going to manifest. And for thousands of years, religion is a part of that tree of knowledge. It's a, it's, it pertains to the things of the flesh. And it never has produced the, the, the good, real, lasting, life-giving fruit. What has it produced? Look at it. Look at religion. Look at legalism. Look at all of man's attempts in all of his best efforts and his willpower and his devotion and the sacraments and the rituals and the symbolism of, and everything of trying to have some kind of connection with God by their flesh, what has it produced? More and more of the works of the flesh. So after thousands of years of religion and humanities, after 2,000 years of Christianity, the body of Christ is still predominantly trying to deal with sin in the church. Because it just doesn't work. And the sad thing is, is when we do that, we just keep perpetuating that tree that only produces the works of the flesh. That tree, it's all it can do. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus spoke of it. Verse 15, he said, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to you looking good, presenting something good. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. And that's what, that, was, that was Paul bringing this list. He says, look at the works of the flesh. Look at what that produces, following circumcision, following outward behavioral change, trying to produce it in your ability, your willpower, and your devotion. He says, look at the works of the flesh. Look at the manifestations of the flesh. Look at the fruit of that tree. And he says, there will be those that come in, 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 in sheep's clothing. See, see, those people that were coming in to the Galatians, they weren't telling them, here, here, here's my teaching. You guys should go out and commit all the ugly sin that you can. They weren't teaching them to sin. They weren't trying to make them more bigger sinners. They were trying to make them more godly. They were, they were trying to make them more godlike, more perfect. So they got the sheepskin. And, and, and I think their motive, I think they really believe they're doing well, but he says, but inside they're wolves because they, they still kill. They just produce death. It's very interesting. Jesus himself even said, all that came before me. I always get a little flack when I say that. Jesus said, all that came before me are thieves and robbers. Well, you know, Moses was in that bunch that came before Jesus. Hmm? Every, almost every time I throw that out there, somebody confronts me with it later. Or sometimes right there as soon as I say it publicly. This, you know, I refuse to think of Moses as a thief and a robber. And, and I'm like, well, remember his ministry was not a ministry of life. It was a ministry of death. Therefore, it was of that tree that produces death. The knowledge of good and evil. It was a ministry of condemnation. It was not a ministry of the spirit. And that's all there is to it. And he said... But you'll know them by the fruits. What does it really produce? I lived for 20 years trying to produce good fruit, trying to produce godliness, trying to produce perfection as a child of God, 
by my willpower, by the, the strength of my own devotions and my activities. And I was so frustrated after 20 years that I laid on the floor and cried and I said, Father, I quit. Because the works of the flesh were still manifest. I would preach holiness. I would preach revival type of spirit that would try to give people conviction to confess their sins and, and, and change their ways and promise God they're going to do better. And I'd have great meetings. It could be very powerful. I'd have great meetings. People would come up and bawl and cry and make vows to God. And we would think, man, we've just washed the whole church tonight. <laughs> and that week in my office, I'm dealing with more adultery more people fighting with each other in the church. <laughs> and it never, it never, none of it ever went away. I lived that way for 20 years. And it was about that time when I found out that, what, that the Jesus that I thought was this big was really bigger than I could ever imagine. And it was more than enough. And I finally believed it. And I finally started changing. I started growing like a weed. Things that were happening to me that I could never have made happen before. I used to beg God to help me to love him more. I fell in love with God and I couldn't help it. I started loving people. I started understanding people. I started being more patient. I'm like, what's going on here? I'm not doing anything now. I'm not tying myself to the altar anymore. I'm not checking into the prayer closet for hours anymore. How can this be happening? Because there's only one tree that produces that life and that kind of good fruit. And that's the tree of life, which is the Spirit of God. And it had nothing to do with all the, my strength, my willpower, and my self-motivation. It, all it produced was more works of the flesh. So there's two trees. This is what Paul's talking about. He said there's only two ways of trying to do this. One of them just produces more flesh and death. Jesus spoke about it here. He says, he says uh, he's verse 16, you'll know them by their fruits. Do, men get, you, do you get grapes from, from thorn bushes? Do you get figs from, a, uh, from thistles? Verse 17, even so, every good tree will bear good fruit. The tree of life will bear life. The tree of life will bear love. It will bear joy because the tree of life is God himself. He said it in Deuteronomy. He explained it very well when he said, I set before you death, excuse me, life and death, blessing and cursing. Those two trees, two ways. Choose life so you can live and I am your life. And those are the choices we saw in the Garden of Eden. It was choosing, you were actually choosing God or life or the living by the spirit or you were choosing your sense knowledge, your strength, and living by your abilities. And man has suffered and struggled under that weight for thousands of years. And this is why we declare good news. Good news. It has nothing to do with any of that. Paul said, stay in that freedom. Stay in that freedom. He said, a good tree will bear good fruit, verse 17. But a bad tree just bears bad fruit. And this is what Paul's pointing out in Galatians 5. They're telling you, they're promising you that they're going to make you better by following, by barking up this tree. He says, but the works of the flesh are evident. It's still more sexual vice, more envy, more wrath, more fighting. It just produces death and destruction. He says in verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Therefore, by their fruits will you know him. There was another, that was another one that scared us, didn't it? I thought when he talked about those good trees and bad trees, I thought he was talking about me. <laughs> I thought he was talking about me, and I would look at, you know, and it's funny. No matter how much good I did, I, could, I was always more aware of my bad fruit, if you will, my bad actions, my bad thoughts. And, I would th- and I, this, this verse confused me because I thought, well, I do some good stuff and I do some bad stuff. And, you know, how can you say I, I can only produce one fruit? I seem to be producing two. Well, he wasn't talking about me. <laughs> he wasn't calling me a good tree or a bad tree. He was calling the, 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 the way to life and righteousness. There's a good tree and there's a bad tree. And what the, the people of that day that he was speaking in, they were all barking up the wrong tree. And he says, it just produces death. Look at the fruit of it. I like that, that John the Baptist, when he announced the coming of Jesus, he said, the axe is laid to the fruit, root of the tree. Boom. Wow. What did Jesus do in my life and in yours? It, he, he, he takes down that tree. He does away with that thing. He says, it's good for nothing except to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now we live by the Spirit, faith in Christ alone, by grace and we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And in Romans 8, he even says this. He says, therefore, we're not, we are no debtors to, the, not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. We don't have to do anything for this. And the flesh wants to demand that it gets some credit, that it gets to do something. It works from the inside out. So this is what, this is what the whole issue is. There's two trees, and in Jesus, we have the tree of life. And it's beautiful because this fruit of this tree, that's why he goes on and wraps it up at the end of the chapter. He says, these are the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit, the good tree, is this. Following the Spirit, trusting in Jesus alone, this is what it produces in you. If you want to be made perfect, it's all right here in the spirit. If you want to act better, even though you're already made righteous, but you still want to clean up your act, this is where it's at. This is the only thing that will produce a better lifestyle. Because the fruit, what comes from that tree, and it's the tree that does it. You, you don't have to make the tree something it's not. That tree will produce love. It will produce joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, all these things. It will naturally come because a tree will naturally produce its fruit. Just like the tree of death, the flesh, has naturally produced its fruit of the flesh, no matter how much you try to work it. It reminds me of that story Jesus told about the fig tree. He said it didn't produce fruit. And so he says, well, I'm going to cut it down. And the owner says, well, no, let me, you know, come back next year. Let me work on it and let me, let me spread some dung around it. <laughs> May add some dung to the roots here. Let's see if that helps. He comes back a year later. It's still, it's still bad. So he cuts it down. Why was Jesus talking about that? I think it's because people say, you know, don't cut down my tree. I'll just add more crap to it around the, around the roots. And, you know, maybe that'll do it. So the law is not enough. What Moses said isn't enough. We'll write the Talmud. We'll do, add more rabbinical teachings. We'll make more rules. We'll make more laws. Maybe that'll produce righteousness, holiness, godliness. He says, no, it still doesn't produce. I believe that's why Jesus cursed the fig tree. Because it was promising something with its leaves, but it was not giving it. That wrong tree is very tempting, isn't it? It promises something that it doesn't deliver. 
But there is a truth. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence or owe anything to the flesh. And I, I finish with this. With Jesus, you already have partaken of the tree of life. And we've received our life from him. He is that tree. The tree of life is the spirit. It's the character, the heartbeat of God. It's love. Against it, there's no law. It's perfection. And that love has been poured out into our hearts. And it has changed us in a way that our activities, behavior, modification never could. And I love that when you read the beginning of the Bible, you see two ways of approaching this. Two trees. One is life, the spirit. Another is sensuality, flesh, the knowledge of good and evil. When you go to the back of the book, the book of Revelation, last chapter, you look at that, there's no knowledge of good and evil at all. He said in the midst of the, of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Ezekiel saw it and he, and he says it, were, it was many trees on each side of the river because the only begotten son has become the first begotten among many brethren. And we've partaken of that tree of life and we actually become those life-giving sources. We become the tree of life to people. In other words, that's why he says, he says the tree of life bears fruit 12 months out of the year. It has nothing to do with the externals. We've overcome the world because whether the situation is good or bad, our joy is full. Our peace doesn't make sense. Our love continues to flow no matter what, what they do, what they say, to a world that doesn't like us, that doesn't understand us, to a world that hates us and wants us gone. By this spirit, we become so Christ-like that the love just keeps going no matter what. And we never get depleted because the fruit is there 12 months out of the year. It never stops, never stops. And the leaves are for the what? The healing of the nations. And we're by the river, so we're always drinking from the spirit. And we're never running dry or depleted. We have overcome the world we finally become bigger inside than the bigness of this world. And our leaves are for the healing of the nations. What do the nations need in this world right now? Do they need to be just bombed and overcome? Or do they need healing? What do the people need? What do, what do, what do the people that don't get it, that don't understand, a world that doesn't know their right hand from their left, and they fight and they hate, and they're trying to fulfill lustful hearts because... Living by the flesh could never do it. And they want and they want and they, they want from you and they want from government and they want from everybody else. What do we have for that world? We have healing for the nations. We have the one way. It's the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it's free and it's good news. And it had nothing to do with mine or your strength, our willpower, or our ability to devote ourselves. To God, we give all the glory. Welcome home, saints. You're not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, and you're free.
Wasn't that encouraging? I love the idea of barking up the wrong tree. Let's stay in the right tree. I love how Rick shares these truths, and if you would like to get more of their resources, and I speak about Rick and his wife, Judy, who travel the country sharing the gospel of grace, if you'd like to get more of their resources or listen into their uh, more of their teaching and even ask questions, they do something called eChurch online. I believe it's mostly on Facebook, uh, and you can, you can plug into their ministry there where you can ask questions. Uh, and they do a great job at answering those. So we hope that you're encouraged this week. We hope that everybody is staying safe, and we will see you again online real soon. God bless.